electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, two big numbers, $2.2 trillion, that's the dollars proposed by House Democrats for another round of stimulus aid, and $1 million plus dead from COVID-19 around the world, while the U.S. government warns of continued infection hitting the holiday season. The CDC said avoid the turkey trap road races uh, and parades. Anyway. Airlines facing hard choices as key federal aid expires. The head of the trade group Airlines for America. Here we have a once in a lifetime pandemic that is nobody's fault and the government needs to respond differently to this than they did to the financial crisis. And the latest company going public via a SPAC, agriculture startup App Harvest. We're on a warpath here to change agriculture for the good. Maybe we should call it Martha SPAC because guess who sits on the board? None other than Martha Stewart. I want to see what can happen with this technology. I think it's just a brilliant step in the right direction for the future of our country. This is a very fun for me project, but also a very serious project. Those stories and more today, plus... Who are we, France? The latest on the international luxury market. <laughs> it's Tuesday, September 29th, 2020. Post-pandemic, I cannot wait post-pandemic. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Andrew, welcome back. Hey, thank you. Uh, thanks, Becky. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Democrats have proposed a new $2.2 trillion coronavirus relief bill. She said it's a compromise measure that reduces the cost of economic aid and includes new funding for schools, small businesses, restaurants, performance spaces, airline workers, and others. Speaker Pelosi spoke to Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin yesterday, and they plan to speak again today. Now, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows saying that President Trump would be willing to sign a $1.3 trillion relief package, but um, we'll see, guys, where this all heads. Yeah, Joe? We're inching along, inching along as it, you know, comes, I don't know. Wait, we went from 2-3 to 2-2. Two, two. That's, that's not coming down. I don't, know where, I don't know where the White House really is. We'll see. Uh, anyway, Vice President Mike Pence uh, said yesterday that Americans should expect a rise in COVID cases in the days ahead as testing increases in some Midwestern states show some worrying trends, some crazy infection numbers in some of the, the you know, sparsely populated states, like 25% infection rates, which uh, unheard of. Now, the warning comes as the global death toll from the virus hit 1 million people. President Trump said that the government plans to distribute 150 million rapid COVID tests made by Abbott Labs in the coming weeks as we move into fall season. And the CDC now warning that shopping in crowded stores around Thanksgiving is a higher risk activity that could contribute to the spread of COVID-19. Also cautioned against participating in turkey trot road races. Dang. Um, we've got to cross that off, uh, off our list. Are going to do that this year? Yeah. I, that's a bummer. I, I didn't. 
you know, are we missing something? Is my life, uh, it feels empty. I, a, a turkey trot road race. Where do we get that? Where, who, who wrote it? Did someone who write that, did, did you go to a lot of these? And, and is it, uh, did it really say that somewhere? Anyway, uh, who, did, who did? The CDC. CDC said, avoid the turkey trot road races uh, and parades. Anyway, uh, and gathering for large indoor events uh, with extended family or friends. Uh, Thanksgiving, I, I, does it have something it to do with sense. Thanksgiving? Maybe it has something to do with Thanksgiving. Well, you know what? No, it's, well, it's just any of the events that are associated with this, you know what's coming. You know that people are going to be out and gathering, that people want to see family. Shopping sounds. people are kind of tired of the restrictions. Yeah. I don't want to go to some crowded uh, indoor well, not that I shop anyway, but but I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to go anywhere where people are rubbing shoulders, really. I, I, and I, I wonder. I, right. it, I would never uh, use PTSD lightly because it's such a, a serious thing that, that that all our guys and gals deal with coming back. But we are a little bit. I mean, I do feel affected in the future. I don't know when we get away from, I feel people near me if they're closer than 10 feet. And it, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's a different way to live than we have our whole life, isn't it? And, and does it ever go away? I don't know. And I still, you know. I was wondering, you know, I, I like giving people hugs when I see them after I haven't seen them for a while. And no, like, no, 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 I don't no, know no, that no, I'm no, ever no. going to be back it's in the. It's off the list. <laughs> no. Elbow. No elbow. Like, right. Let alone give them the elbow. shaking hands. Not even a, not even a, right. a fist, Andrew. That, that, that could transmit it, couldn't it? I guess. I you know, know what? Somebody tried to give me a fist. Someone gave me a fist this weekend, and I went with, they put their fist out, and I put out my elbow. The elbow fist might work. That's, that might work. I don't want to touch, I don't, skin, no skin to skin for now. Just, you know? Wow, you must be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think we're a... <laughs> oh. <laughs> I do miss hugs though, I gotta say. Anyway, in the meantime, the New York Times out with a report overnight that said type, top White House officials pressured the CDC this summer to play down the risk of sending children back to school. The report says that the White House officials tried to circumvent the CDC in a search for alternate, alternate data that showed the pandemic was weakening and posed little danger to children. This is where uh, Dr. Redfield has gotten in some hot water lately. He was overheard making a phone call, a private phone call, where he was questioning some of the advice coming from another legal counselor versus what the CDC was putting out. And unfortunately, it's got people in this position where they're not always sure what to believe in terms of what the CDC is saying, in terms of what other agencies are saying, uh, unfortunately leads to this, uh, this fear that exists in our society right now. It's, uh, it's a mess because it creates a real credibility problem. And we've talked about uh, the vaccine issue and, and, and the number of people already who, who are out there publicly saying they, they may not want to take a vaccine. And part of that is the credibility of the government and uh, whether the uh, whether the program will be uh, administered properly. CNBC has now confirmed that two women uh, have come forward with sexual assault allegations against Nicola founder Trevor Milton. Now, the first allegation came from Milton's cousin, who filed an assault report with the police in Holiday, Utah, claiming that the former CEO groped her at a family wedding in 1999 and was first reported by the Wall Street Journal after she tweeted about it. Now, the second alleged assault, which has not been previously reported, comes from an event involving um, a minor back in 2004. That complaint was filed on Friday in St. George, Utah. 
There was spokesman Milton strongly denied what he said were false allegations and declined to address the specific details of the women's complaints. Milton resigned. Uh, as you know, we've been reporting on it for the past now two weeks as Nicholas CEO about a week ago, following that report from short seller Hindenburg Research claiming that uh, he had made false statements about the electric truck company's technology in order to attract investors and win deals with other automakers. That reportedly led to an inquiry by the SEC and DOJ. Uh, you can read the full story on CNBC.com. The FT, FT had a story, I think, over the weekend uh, about how the actual truck design might have not even been his either, that it might have been stolen uh, from another company that he had met with uh, many years ago. So uh, lots of questions coming out about this. And uh, it's not just a story, as you know, about Nikola. It's also a story about General Motors, given the diligence that that company uh, hopefully or supposedly had done on, on, on Nikola and the stake that they have taken uh, in the company. Right. Seem I mean, it seems like separate stories, doesn't it? The, I mean, either the they, batteries in the trucks work yes, or, but, it, but, but then again, it all yeah, may, it, may be, you know, it, 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 but he's already gone. To me, so. this is a, to me, though, this is a story about diligence. This is a story, right, to right, me, right. the larger GM, story it, is, there's yeah, two stories here. There's one about SPACs and how actually, how little diligence goes on in SPACs broadly because of the disclosure program and how it all works. To begin with. And then there's the secondary issue, which is General Motors, which has taken a stake in this company clearly without doing its own diligence. Right. But you wouldn't expect GM to know whether he's groping cousins at family events. I mean, maybe you would. I don't know. You got to look at no, everything. But you well, you would want to you would want right. to be doing. I assume you do background. You know, you'd hire people to do real background research on who you're about to get into business with. Right. You know, both I mean, of those, both of those you know, women I'm a big fan of Barry Bars, but she came GM on our deal. air. What's that? But Andrew, both, those, both of those women came forward after GM took the stake. I mean, I've, I've seen tweets um, from the other woman, right. too, and both of them came forward after GM took that stake. I, I think once your profile gets high enough, anything from your past is going to kind of come out and, and catch up with you, and that, that may be a case of this. Who knows exactly what happened in these situations, but I have read at least one of the women's accounts, and it was... Pretty no, graphic no. in what she My out. only suggestion is that when you do diligence on a company, oftentimes you actually do diligence on the executives, especially a, effectively a startup that doesn't make money, that doesn't have a history. You actually might go back in people's yeah. history, their histories, to figure out who they are and what their story is and whether you want to be in business with them. And as I said, I'm a huge fan of Mary Bars, but she came on our air with, with, with him um, to talk about the wonders of this transaction. GM was very unique to us because they brought a lot more than just building the Badger. The whole world was waiting for us to tell them who we were working with to build this, the, the most amazing electric pickup truck and hydrogen fuel cell pickup truck in the world. And Jim was definitely the top of our list. And after I got to know Mary Moore and their whole entire team, it was just absolutely the right decision for the, for the company to do. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a perfect relationship. And it appears at least, um, even putting that, even putting maybe the alleged history aside, uh, that, that that whatever work should have been done uh, wasn't done in its uh, completeness, if you will. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what GM does now. I, I think that's the question too. Uh, speaking with Mark Fields about that last week was pretty interesting. Just about what they can or can't do. Uh, the the former GM executive who's now there trying to run things and see what really exists beneath the surface. 
A battle in the world of luxury brands is heating up. LVMH filing a countersuit against Tiffany in its bid to try and walk away from that $16.2 billion takeover. LVMH says that the conditions necessary to close the acquisition haven't been met, and it will not be able to complete the deal as it stands. It cited the pandemic, the threat of U.S. tariffs on French goods, and Tiffany's request to extend the deal deadline to the end of the year. Guys, this, uh, this is a very interesting one. And, Andrew, I don't know if you have thoughts on, on, on where this comes down. This does not look like it had anything to really do with Tiffany in terms of why this isn't happening. It's really the French government was pressuring LVMH, saying that they shouldn't go ahead with this deal or they should at least put it off. Uh, until something is cleared up around the threat of global trade. Uh, the United States making right. these charges that they may raise tariffs on some of these French luxury goods. The, the French government basically told the LVMH, forget it, you can't do this right now. I mean, my, my only thought is that this is indicative of what's happening across the world, frankly. Uh, France, of course, has always had their national champions. LVMH is one of them. Uh, but clearly, um, the, the decoupling that's going on is not just with China, but to some degree uh, with, uh, with even countries that have long uh, appeared to be allies. Yeah. yeah, I just wonder if there's a, if there's a breakup fee or who gets blamed and, and, and how in this. I mean, this is a, a different sort of scenario to watch. You're, you're right, it's the decoupling that's taking place everywhere. But to watch a deal that had been put in motion get broken apart, who gets blamed? Well, I don't. I don't. I got. I got to look through the the filings. I don't. I don't actually. That's a good question. I don't know who who ultimately would pay the fee. Well, remember last week the Journal was talking about, you know, how unprecedented it is what we're doing with TikTok, and saying basically asking this question, yeah. who, who are we, France, uh, in terms of statism and stuff. And that this is a, you know, they do they do this. Uh, I mean, remember when YoPlay was supposedly it's all sacre bleu. Yeah. What YoPlay? Oh, no. I mean, if you try to buy Yo, I mean, you better. You know, you better be ready to, there's some serious, uh, you know, fighting if you're going to try to, to buy. There's a great, Andrew or Becky, did you ever watch Versailles? Do you ever see it? Because I'm in the middle of watching it now. It's, it's three seasons. Mm -hmm. it, it is Louis XIV. It's amazing. It is, I mean, it's like X-rated at times. But it, uh, it's, it, I, I have a, a new appreciation and love uh, of, of, I mean, it is, they, at that point, it was the center of the universe. Versailles was. It really was. It's a beautiful and, place. And, I've been there. And, 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 and the French, yeah. have, they've got the most beautiful city and some of the greatest culture. And, and, so, and, and I, I actually understand sort of the, um, you know, how they feel about their, their brands. And it's, you know, it's thousands of years of, of, uh, of, of being French, I think. And it's, it's a great, I, I love the entire place and, and everything about it and all the culture and everything else. Rich, creamy sauces. Next on Squawk Pod, airlines press for aid as the deadline to avert job losses nears. Airlines for America CEO Nicholas Calio. What hangs in the balance are literally tens of thousands of jobs, people's lives, and the amount of service that communities, both small, medium, and large, are going to get going into the future. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod.
Andrew? <laughs> I think we must have lost Andrew's feet. I don't think he hears what's going on here. Uh, anyway, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uh, we well, are watching the U.S. equity futures at this hour. <laughs> Andrew's here. Joe, I think we're just Kernan having issues with his Joe IFP. Kernan, anyway. I don't know what. It, it, yeah. it, it, and then I couldn't hear him. Or, and I don't think he hears us or we, we hear. Oh, I guess. I think I it's guess his IFB dropped out. Yeah. And, no, and the phone and the mic wasn't on. I don't know. He's a mess. Becky, um, I can hear you now. I feel like I'm yeah. in a Verizon commercial. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Well, I, I can figured hear you. you lost your IFB. It happens. It happens. Anyway, we're all here. October 1st is fast approaching the day when the CARES Act aid expires for airlines. Company CEOs have said the industry could face tens of thousands of furloughs if no extension is approved. I want to get over to Phil LeBeau right now, who joins us with more. Phil. Andrew, you're looking at least 30,000 airline employees are scheduled to lose their jobs starting on Thursday. Now, that depends on whether or not there is an extension of a CARES Act. Yesterday, United Airlines announced that it had reached a deal with its pilots union, and that deal means that uh, they're going to be laying off or furloughing fewer than 12,000 employees. Originally, it was supposed to be closer to 16,000. That's because they were able to, with this deal, prevent about 2,850 pilots from being furloughed on Thursday. What is the agreement? between United and its pilots basically comes down to this. The pilots agree to fly fewer hours, so essentially a pay cut, but their jobs are going to be guaranteed until next June. 58% of the pilots at United approve this change. Meanwhile, you've got American Airlines. It has announced the largest number of scheduled furloughs, 19,000 scheduled to start on Thursday. American is also scheduled to borrow $5.5 billion from the Treasury Department. That's the other deadline that's coming up. That is tomorrow when airlines have to commit to whether or not they take a loan from the Treasury Department or if they say, no, we're not going to do that. As you look at the passenger levels, keep in mind that what we're seeing here is passenger levels, they've leveled off between 65 and 70 percent. And at that level, the airlines are definitely going to have to become smaller. So the question becomes, does the government step in with some type of payroll aid? Southwest and Delta, both of these airlines, along with Spirit, they are foregoing Treasury loans. They have said, no, we are not going to be borrowing this money from the Treasury Department. We're still waiting to hear from uh, several of the airlines so far, American and United have both committed to taking Treasury loans. So the next couple of days will be really interesting, guys. Hey, Phil, question for you, and I hope it's not a curveball here. Could you ever imagine uh, an environment that's, that's so challenged in the airline industry that there would be more consolidation, meaning the government would allow more consolidation given the circumstances of the industry? Possibly. Possibly, but not much more. I think that most people within the industry, when you talk with them, believe that the, the feeling is that you're at the right size in terms of the number of carriers right now. Um, but there could be some on the edge there. Do you see a deal perhaps where somebody uh, consolidates with a JetBlue or consolidates with an Alaska? That's a possibility. But remember, right now, American, Delta, United, and Southwest, they control more than 80% of the market. So you're not going to see one of them snap up an Alaska Airlines because right. I think that the regulators would say, wait a second, now that's really t becoming too large. And real quick, the reason that some of those airlines that you mentioned earlier are not taking the loans right. is because they think that the warrants are too onerous? What, what's the rationale? Combina combination of the warrants being perhaps something that they don't want because it would be dilutive to shareholders, uh, but also they believe that they can get to where they need to be strictly by doing this in the private market. 
and it gives them a little more optionality in terms of as they're repaying it, restructuring those debts down the road. That's the key right now for a number of these carriers. And, and also keep in mind, with both Southwest and Delta, they have a number of employees, a sizable number of employees, who have decided to take unpaid leaves of absence. And so at this point, they believe, let's do it in the private market. Look, if things continue to be terrible six months from now, and the government has to, you know, step in again, they've got a little bit of wiggle room there in that they haven't already uh, taken as much debt out as uh, their competitors. Phil, thank you. Okay, Good to Phil, see you. Thanks. More than 100,000 employees expected to be laid off if Congress doesn't reach a deal extending payroll protection. Joining us right now for this is uh, Nicholas Calio. He's the uh, Airlines for America president and CEO. Nick, it's great to see you. Uh, let's start with just understanding fully what you think hangs in the balance right now. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, what hangs in the balance are literally tens of thousands of jobs, uh, people's lives, and the amount of service that communities, both um, are small, medium, and large, are going to get going into the future. Um, so quite a bit. Congress has 48 hours to act uh, to give a lifeline to the uh, airline industry and its employees. Uh, they provided such a lifeline uh, back in March, and it was a good one. Uh, Treasury calculated that about 70% of the grants they provided uh, were would be paid back by giving the grants and keeping people out of the unemployment line, paying taxes, Medicare, Social Security, spending money, and keeping their health care. 30%, as you know, was provided uh, in loans uh, and, and warrants on the company to be paid back. So, Nick, I think the big question right now is that was, that was a loan that was provided in March with an expectation, if we're being honest about it, uh, yeah. that the world was going with a, with a different timeline than the timeline that we have today. Now that we, I think, have a better sense of the timeline, and maybe we do and maybe we don't because it could go even longer, I think, than some people uh, perhaps anticipate, do you think the structure of a transaction uh, and, and help should change, which is to say, do you think this should look much more like a dip loan, right, that would occur in a bankruptcy proceeding, but would allow the, allow the airlines to continue to operate and taxpayers receive a lot more in warrants so that when things get better, it's not just that the employees and the economy uh, continue to improve, but that shareholders get a meaningful benefit for putting that money at risk. Uh, no, we don't, actually. And there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, first of all, uh, this pandemic was no fault of our own. The virus has been cooperative. We were seeing an uptick in demand in the early summer, uh, and we thought that would be helpful. Um, then the surge started and it went down. Um, this is a jobs bill, and a jobs bill, plain and simple. Uh, all of that money that we received the last time and more from the company's till went directly to our employees to keep them on the payroll. As you know, the airline industry is very different than other industries in that everyone from our pilots flight attendants, machinists, gate agents, all have to be constantly retrained and recertified because of the safety regulations involved with the FAA and DOT. So you can't just take them off the job, throw them the keys and start up. Uh, between a vaccine, public education about how safe you actually right. are on an airplane. I, I'm, not uh, I'm not suggesting we fire these people. I'm suggesting that the money come in to you. What I'm suggesting is that taxpayers are paid for it and that we're not going to treat the shareholders of the airlines differently than we treat the shareholders of, of a hotel or lodging company, for example. 
I think the uh, taxpayers are being paid back by what we're keeping in place. Um, there's studies that have done that. Treasury made their own calculations about that based on a Compass Lexicon study. So this is not a zero-sum game. You know, you're keeping people on the payroll. You're not putting them in the unemployment line. But, but, but and, why are you? But 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 why? But why are you so intent on helping? the shareholders of the airlines. And I have no problem with shareholders of airlines. I'm just trying to understand why they should be an advantaged class. I have no debate with you about providing money so that the employees and the airlines can stay up and running. I think it's strictly about the structure of it and whether shareholders should get the benefit uh, that would otherwise come with it. Can you explain that, that piece of it? Why should the shareholders of the airlines benefit? You could structure it so that employees, the exact number of employees keep their jobs, the planes stay in the air, Everything stays as is. The only distinction is that the shareholder to the airline is not advantaged. I don't think the shareholders are advantaged right now. There are no dividends, no buybacks uh, going through 2022. Uh, and again, what's happening here is the, the grants are to keep airlines doing what basically is an uneconomic activity. And we've undertaken substantial self-help measures here in terms of cutting management, cutting management pay, uh, voluntary leaves, right. voluntary but, but, you, voluntary but Nick, you do I, recognize that the shareholder, you do recognize that the shareholder by default becomes advantaged because otherwise the company uh, would either otherwise go out of business uh, or have to spend its own money or have to go to the private markets at, at terms that are uh, much worse. So my question to you is why are you pushing on behalf of the shareholder? I know you say you're pushing on behalf of the, air, the employee, but it's very strange. It's very, very strange that you don't have airlines saying we're very happy to accept money because we want to help our employees and we want to help our economy, but we recognize that the shareholder should not be advantaged. Uh, Andrew, I know this is a thing with you. I don't believe the shareholders are advantaged. This is for our employees. This is a different kind of industry. It's an industry that drives the economy all the time. And it's an, it's, an, it's an industry that can help empower recovery. People want to get out. People want to travel. And let's be frank, you know, you can't, if you want to go see your family in California from Washington, D.C. or New York, you're not going to drive or take a bus or take a train. You need right. to fly there. And that's what you want to keep did in you, place and the ability to do so Nick, when the recovery right. comes. A hundred percent. And by the way, Nick, the, those arguments were made during the financial crisis of 2008, which was, you know, you have to keep the economy going because, and you have to keep the banks in business. Otherwise, if they fall, the economy falters. My question to you is, do you think the terms of the loans that were provided to the banks were too onerous? Because they had war meaningful warrants. And frankly, the taxpayers got paid back not just in terms of how the economy did the way you're suggesting in terms of jobs for the airline workers and what that'll do for the economy, but actual not, but cash as well. There's a real distinction here between the banks and the airlines. Uh, 2008, uh, you've written about that extensively, including the book. Um, that was banks acting poorly, mismanaging themselves, um, hurting their customers and taking the economy down. Here we have a once in a lifetime, at least we hope, a once in a lifetime pandemic. That is nobody's fault. It's a very different situation. And the government needs to respond differently to this than they did to the financial crisis, which again, was something that the banks brought on themselves and on the economy. I 100% agree. What about, what do you say about lodging, restaurants, all of these other industries, do you think they should get the same terms that you're, you're prov being provided? They got better terms. In and the first and how, would you, how would you pay for that? 
<laughs> I, well, I think it's going to be paid over a long time. But they got better terms than we did in CARES 1. They got direct grants. And we are pushing, advocating for a deal that does, just doesn't apply to us, but it's larger because we think the economy can pick up and recover, but it needs help right now. This is, again, it's a once, mm -hmm. a, it's a, once in a hundred year at least situation. The government can actually act here to try to ameliorate the impact on a day-to-day -day basis. We can't let it all just go to hell in a handbasket and say, you know, okay, we're going to let it all sort it out. Nick, uh, we appreciate uh, you coming on this morning. It's a very important topic. Uh, I truly do hope that we find a solution uh, that does help the employees and keeps those planes in the skies because it's so very important to our economy. Uh, on that, we very much agree. Thanks so much, Thank Nick. You, and we've got a glimmer of hope today. You bet. Thank you. Coming up on Squawk Pod, App Harvest, the agricultural tech startup taking on a big problem. The world needs 50 to 70 percent more food by 2050. Some are saying we would need two planet Earths to grow that food with, with the way we're currently growing it today. We'll hear from the CEO and a board member who knows a thing or two about making the most of your home whether it's your house or your planet. Martha Stewart. I think it's really very important for all of us to get back to more normal lives, but lives have changed. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Now, after six and a half months of staying at home, we might all feel like experts in the home cooking, home baking, home decor departments. Regular Martha Stewart's, you might say. You know who probably wouldn't say that? The real Martha Stewart. She's one of the most successful at-home experts and entrepreneurs of our time. And since March, she's also been stuck at home, just like us, although she seems to have more space than most of us. A whole farm, to be exact. Uh, the COVID virus certainly made all of us think uh, hard and long about what was important to us. Having a really good vegetable garden is very important to me. But she's been kind enough to share her quarantine living with the public via Instagram. She's at Martha Stewart 48 serving up pictures, at-home tips, and recipes. This is my anti-pet peeve margarita recipe. We call them Martharitas. 
find beautiful goblets. I found these at a tag sale. The iconic Martha Stewart even posted about us, CNBC, this morning. You can follow us on Insta at CNBC, or you can follow Andrew at Sorkin Says. He's the only Squawk anchor with a handle. Andrew's quarantine recordings may not include Martha Reedus, at least not yet, but they do sometimes include a cameo of his family's pet bunny, Cooper. But back to Martha, as you heard, her plants are very important to her, which is why over the last year, she's gotten involved with agriculture tech company App Harvest. Starting with its 60-acre indoor farming facility in Kentucky, App Harvest has a big plan to revolutionize U.S. farming. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Agricultural tech startup App Harvest is going public through, what else? A SPAC, the company merging with Novus Capital Corporation. It's a special purpose acquisition company. The deal will provide App Harvest with nearly a half a billion dollars in proceeds. And joining us right now is App Harvest founder and CEO Jonathan Webb. And we're also joined by Martha Stewart, founder, of course, of Martha Stewart Living on the Media and an App Harvest board member. Good morning to you both. Uh, congratulations on the deal. Uh, Jonathan, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I remember we had you on, on the show uh, probably about a year and a half ago. So congratulations to you on this new development. But explain why you wanted to be a public company, uh, especially given the, the SPAC structure uh, and right now the questions about those structures. Well, Andrew, thanks for, for having me. Um, why, why go public now? Uh, because as you can see, the facility here is built. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be selling tomatoes here in the coming months. And we want the consumers of our fruits and vegetables to be the owner in our company, uh, be the advocate and, and, and marketing with us that's going to help drive agriculture forward here in America. So we felt it was the right time to, to take this company public uh, and allow the, the average, average everyday American across our country to buy into this company with us. Hey, hey Martha, how did you get involved in this? Well, I met Jonathan uh, just this year in um, in Utah at Chef Dance, which follows the uh, the wonderful um, Sundance Film Festival. And there we talked about sustainable agriculture. I have noticed, and I'm part of the secular shift to vegetable-based diets here in the United States, and App Harvest fits the bill. The way that they are going to be able to grow vegetables and fruits sustainably uh, not causing any of the water scarcity and the land degradation and the deforestation that's occurring with regular um, agriculture here in the States really, really interests me. And I think that they are riding a wave into the future, of, and I'm so excited about it. Hey, Jonathan, can you can you help explain how we should think about your valuation? I know the enterprise value is now about a billion dollars, at least that's the expectation. The company doesn't have any revenue uh, right now. Sort of walk us through the math for the public investor that now would be getting in and, frankly, getting in early. I mean, this would almost be like a venture capital deal in a, in a more traditional world. No, Andrew, it's not a venture capital deal. We've had some of the best early investors in the world in our company. Uh, Steve Case with Rise of the Rest, um, a, a whole list of, of incredible investors that have gotten us to this point. How do we look at the valuation, Andrew? Uh, well, I've tried to say my background was building some of the largest solar projects in the U.S. Uh, and in, in my lifetime, the way most power will come from renewables, most cars will be run on electricity. 
Uh, most fruits and vegetables in this world at scale are going to be grown indoors in a controlled environment. We simply do not have a choice, Andrew. We hosted the UN Security Council here in Kentucky a couple of months ago. Uh, they came to, to listen what was going on here. Why? Because they have outlined that the world needs 50 to 70 percent more food by 2050. Some are saying we would need two planet Earths to grow that food with, with the way we're currently growing it today. So, Andrew, how you value this company, you tell me. What, what, what does it mean to grow fruits and vegetables globally indoors? That's what we're working to tackle. Uh, th this half-billion-dollar transaction is, is gasoline to put in this, this, this motor to let us drive forward and, and keep building here in a region that we love of Central Appalachia. Why are we building in this region? Because we have, we have rain, we're getting wetter. If you look at where we're growing our fruits and vegetables right now, California, it's on fire, drying up. Southwest of the U.S., drought stricken. We've pushed most of our produce production down to Mexico, trucking at 2,000 miles to get to major markets. What we're going to do, Andrew, we're going to rip the produce industry from the southwest of the U.S. and Mexico. We're going to bring it over here to central Appalachia. We're going to put it indoors where we use 90% less water than open field agriculture, get right. 30 times yield per acre, and get to three-quarters of the U.S. in a day drive. So how do we value that, Andrew? Well, there's people a lot smarter than me. Fidelity's the, the help led this half-billion-dollar transaction, uh, and a lot of smart people at the table helped come to, come to that valuation. My job is to make sure we're building. And, Andrew, keep in mind, when I met with you a year ago, this facility hadn't started construction yet. We built one of the largest structures in the world. This is two times larger than Amazon's largest facility. We did it in the middle of a global pandemic. 600 semi-trucks of materials coming to a rural county in eastern Kentucky. So how do you value this, this company, uh -huh. Andrew? You tell me. we got some of the hardest working men and women in the country well. that built this facility. It's Project One. This is Project One. You tell us what projects two, three, four, five, six look like. We're on a we're on a war path here to change right. agriculture for the good. Get chemical pesticides no, out. Get labor practices we can all be proud of. Jonathan, uh, look, I, I I think everyone's everyone's rooting uh, for you and for others in this space to, to have great success. The question that I'm asking, and, and specifically because of the SPAC. Uh, the SPAC structure, the disclosures around SPACs, and frankly, the questions in part because there have been other SPACs recently, again, companies that also haven't had revenues before, uh, that have raised questions about how the public uh, should be thinking about these things, specifically public investors uh, who have not been part of a quote-unquote roadshow uh, that would have uh, typically happened in, in, a, in a more traditional IPO. Yeah. Yeah, Andrew, no, great question. Keep in mind, this SPAC was only $100 million. We raised $375 million from some of the most sophisticated investors in the world. Again, Fidelity with a, a significant check in that. We went on that roadshow, Andrew. The SPAC was just a vehicle. You know, my, my background is not finance. My background is some, building some of the biggest stuff in the world. The SPAC was just a vehicle to allow us to hit the public markets. But keep in mind, Andrew, a vast majority of this capital came from institutional investors where we went on that roadshow and we gave them an opportunity to look at this company. So, so I, again, I can't speak for every SPAC transaction. I can't speak for every company that's done a SPAC, but I can speak for us. The SPAC we used, Novus Capital, was just $100 million of the, nearly this half-billion-dollar transaction. So, so how would the public markets look at this? Feel free to call up Fidelity.
Um, Martha, uh, you are now involved with this company. You're obviously involved with some CBD products uh, with Canopy Growth. Um, I'm curious, actually, in this environment, given what's happening with SPACs, would you ever think about re-SPACing yourself? <laughs> spackled. I'm spackled already. So it's a, I'm now part of a private company, and who knows what the future brings. I'm part of Marquee Brands, uh, which is a, a private company within Newberger Berman. A very, very good group of people. We're we're really um, on a on a growth pattern. But this this fantastic um, company, this app harvest that I have uh, um, been come involved with, is so fascinating to me because I have visited the Netherlands, which is now the second largest ex, um, agricultural exporter in the world after the United States. The Netherlands is a tiny little country, but because of the efficiency of of a sustainably grown product under glass, they have become a powerhouse. I want to see what can happen uh, with this kind of this technology. I think it's just a brilliant step in the right direction for the future of our country. And I, I can't stand to see what's happening in California with the fires, the drought in the in the South. I cannot bear it. I can't bear the drought here in Bedford, New York. Uh, it's very difficult to cope with. But this is going to help in a very big way uh, if we can grow a lot more stuff under glass in such an efficient and, uh, and water-saving method. I don't like to see, uh, you know, the degradation of our, of our land with all the chemicals necessary to grow stuff. So this is, um, this is a very fun, fun, fun for me project, but also a very serious project. And I love Jonathan's passion. Martha. Before we let you both go, Martha, I do want to get your, your, your quick thoughts about uh, what the post-pandemic world looks like. Jonathan's obviously been able to plow through this period uh, with a, a Andrew, lot of success. Andrew, it looks like this right The question, here. of course, Here's now like. is, uh, how, is how the rest like, of the Andrew. world uh, looks after all of this. And, and specifically, you, you've had such, so much success with social media. How do you think it all changes? Well, I've been very lucky because our business is focused on the home where everyone has been quarantined for now almost seven months. So home redecoration, home um, entertaining, home cooking, uh, baking. Uh, I have a new book out, Cake Perfection. It's uh, going to be a bestseller because everybody wants to know how to make the best cakes. It's hard, it's hard to live like this. But if you're focused on the right parts of living, as we are, um, and offering your products on a, on a very, in a very wide spectrum of retailers, you can do all right. I mean, Macy's and, and Amazon with, uh, with the online sales, um, it's, been, it's been okay. And, I'm not, and I get up every day and I go to work just as I have for the last you know, 30 years, um, every day um, creating wonderful new product for the homemaker. So um, I, I think post-pandemic, I cannot wait post-pandemic. It's really uh, very important for all of us to get back to more normal lives. But lives have changed, and we are going to be living in a different way. So we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll come back and talk to you in a couple of months. Okay. I hope we get to do that in person. Martha, look forward to seeing you in person. Jonathan, look forward to seeing you in person. I actually want to go out there and see what you've, what you've created, Jonathan. Andrew, hopefully, Andrew uh, bring the in, team. In the post-pandemic world, we do it. October 21. October right. 21, our, our governor will be here. Uh, we're, we're, Martha will be down here. 
bring the bring the world from New York down. We, we got a big farm, 360 acres. Come come look at what the future of agriculture looks like. And this is what a post-pandemic world looks like, Andrew. We're, we're going to rebuild this world coming out of this pandemic to have more resilient systems. We have to do it for your kids, for everybody else watching this show. We don't have a choice, Andrew. We got to move fast. We appreciate you having us on. Thanks, Thank Andrew. you, John. Appreciate it. Thank you both. That's Squawk Pod for today on our rundown tomorrow, Trump and Biden debate. We'll have the post-game analysis and find out what messages resonate with voters. Nine is too late. I don't understand. You're talking about the debate tonight and yeah. why so late. Yes, I agree. It, of course, it's 6 p.m. on the West Coast, and, and that's a little early if you couple go of, to 5 p.m. Right. A couple of septuagenarians up there. They, mo- they both might be yawning. You know what I mean? I mean, when's the last time they were up about past 9 o'clock? They're both less cranky about this than you. <laughs> right. But yeah, three septuagint. No, I'm not a septuagint. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod. We are available free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Tweet us anytime at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.